Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. Hope you're all very well indeed. Uh, we are turning our attention to the world of tennis this time. And uh, here in the UK, we were getting to the end of what would be Wimbledon fortnight. Obviously, uh, an absolute peak of the British sporting summer and the international sports calendar. But the tournament was cancelled this year. Doesn't mean work has stopped at the All England Lawn Tennis Club. And to uh, talk a bit about what 2020 has meant for the event, for the organisation, and for the sport of tennis, I have uh, the AELTC Commercial and Media Director, Mick Desmond. Hi, Mick. Owen, how are you? Very well, thanks. How are you? Very good, thanks. Very good. Sitting in my garden. Glad to hear it. And uh, joining him, we've got uh, the Head of Digital and Communications, Alex Willis. Hi, Alex. Welcome back. Thanks so much, Owen. Great to chat to you. As ever, um, probably... The first time in either of your careers that you could have expected to get to the end of these two weeks and uh, and not have seen any tennis. What's the last few months been like for for AELTC? Because you're obviously you're typically so concentrated around SW19, around this Wimbledon fortnight. There's kind of there are very few brands where everything, you know, very few sports brands where everything is kind of so concentrated into an event and a venue and everything all kind of you know, it all speaks to each other. Um, but there has been no Wimbledon Championships this year. So what's what's the what have the past few months when you would have been scaling up uh, for event time been like? Well, I guess we, we obviously did as much as we possibly could up until the date. It was April the 1st when we, when we announced that we were going to cancel um, the event this year. Um, yeah, a huge amount of preparation had gone into it. Um, you know, we were watching the whole coronavirus unfold internationally and here in the UK, and it became very, very clearly obvious um, in in the last two weeks of March that it was going to be impossible to hold our event for several reasons. One, because we play on grass, and therefore there's a very short window uh, in timing that allows us to play on a grass surface. And I think, secondly, more fundamentally, you know, the hold the whole sort of event of Wimbledon is very, very precious to us. It's not just about the tennis that's being played, but as you've, you've mentioned, you know, it is a it is a huge event in the summer calendar, certainly here in the UK and globally. Um, you know, the fans are obviously a very, very important part of that. You know, the whole infrastructure that goes around it. But we had, in many ways, probably, you know, something that a lot of other sporting events didn't have, that we had a full insurance policy that allowed us to make a clear decision. And therefore, as soon as we knew that we couldn't hold the event, and that was very much on logistical and medical grounds, um, we made that early call so that um, we could work very effectively with our partners, with all stakeholders, ticket holders, debenture holders, hospitality, uh, of being able to give them a a very early um, definitive sign of what we were going to do. It was a very disappointing day. I think everybody was truly sad. It was the first time since the Second World War that the championships have not been hosted. I think for you know the board, for the members, the staff, and indeed all our partners, I think everybody kind of shared that disappointment, but understood the rationale as to, to why we had cancelled the event. But I think we then quickly sort of turned our, our minds to, and Alex can talk about this in more detail, to still wanting to celebrate that, that window. 
you know, how do we how do we still celebrate, you know, what's special about Wimbledon? Um, and as a team, we, we came up with a number of ideas. The board backed those ideas. You know, we wanted to invest in those ideas. And I, I'm delighted that over the last, not just the last two weeks, but indeed over a sort of six-week period, both leading up to the championships and during, we engaged in a, um, a lot of different activities, which I think have sort of not just celebrated you know, tennis and what is great about so the Wimbledon Championships. Um, but also we've taken a number of, number. you know, we've acted in a number of ways uh, to support different stakeholders, certainly within the community, which Alex, perhaps you can talk a little bit more about. Yeah, I mean, um, just, just to add to, to what Mick um, was saying, the the impact of, of cancellation, um, not just on us and in terms of what our summer looks like, but also on those stakeholder groups who who rely on Wimbledon, um, we refer to as you know those without whom we couldn't stage the tournament. It was wanting to make sure that we could provide for them, um, and so we were pleased to to announce um, just recently that we were able to provide some prize money to players. We've been able to compensate uh, officials who would have worked at the tournament, um, and also look after those those contractors and and people that we work with, um, our commercial partners, and and really tr- to try and continue um, our positive relationship with them but also what more could we do um, to provide support for those um, out there you know really struggling and it may sound like small things but being able to donate strawberries to hospitals being able to donate the towels that would have been used for the 2020 championships to homelessness charities um, being able to open up one of our kitchens and provide hot meals um, all of which uh, is just small small things but hopefully when they all add up they they add up to us helping um, as best we can and then the other uh, real area of of support and and um, opportunity for us during this period um, had been to to provide some content for our fans and as Mick said at the point of cancellation we were really overwhelmed by um, the incredibly positive reaction of, of people to say how much they were going to miss Wimbledon And so how could we meaningfully uh, fill the gap for them, not in any way that is ever going to replace the real thing. And and that's the amazing thing about live sport. It's truly irreplaceable, Um, but but something. And so we were delighted to um, put together the Wimbledon Recreated campaign, uh, put together uh, the greatest championships, um, this round by round retelling of archive content and generally just try and encourage conversation about Wimbledon, even without the live event. Yeah. Um, I just want to take it back, first of all, because there's there's a lot to to go over there. But I want to take it back to um, to March and and the decision to cancel. Um, now, Mick, you talked there about the insurance that you had to cover the event. Now, just to clarify that that covered effectively any revenues that you might have expected to lose this year. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to go into the detail of it, um, Owen, because it's you know the the, the... There is a sort of clarity between us and the and the insurance and the and the underwriters, but yes, it it, it gave us sort of a full cover um, in terms of our income and and and, and effectively the, the the revenue that we would generate. So, but we were in a privileged position because of the comprehensive nature of the of the insurance that we had. Um, but but yeah, you know, I, I can't sort of, you know sort of overestimate in many ways, um, you know, uh, and overemphasize, I should say rather. You know the time that we took to explore, you know, the way that we can try and hold the championships, and and you know at that stage, if you remember the, yeah, you know, the medical information was still, 
you know, it's still quite raw in many ways. You know, we 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 were obviously seeing what was going in places like Italy, and we we'd seen what was going on in China. You know, but there was still a faint hope that we that we could do something. But then it became very clear that certainly by you know the first week of, of April and the last week of March that that it was not going to be tenable. Um, and I think even you know we consider things like playing behind closed doors, but even that would have would have entailed having circa five thousand people on site um, to manage the logistics of players, infrastructure. Yeah, and you saw the legislation change very quickly in terms of how many people could corral together on a site. So, you know, in hindsight, and hindsight's a wonderful thing, we absolutely made the right decision. And by making that call early, you know, try to mitigate as many costs as we possibly could, um, both for uh, the underwriters, but also more, more importantly for our partners. What are the stages that you go through when you're, when you're making a decision like that? Obviously, it was, it was kind of, you had the, the combination of everything having unfolded incredibly quickly and it's it's you know it's almost difficult even now to to take ourselves back to that period in the middle of march where it did seem like um like things were, were ch- changing throughout each day never mind by the day uh, in terms of what was possible but you also had to be deliberate and you had to be clear in your actions so are you able to kind of lay out a step by step in terms of the conversations that you are having internally with public health authorities and so on uh, and with players bodies and clubs and you know in, in order to come to a, a decision about what you're going to do well we we started the process very early i mean as soon as we we saw the news unfolding from china and even sort of on the back end of the australian open um you know where cases were, were obviously appearing internationally we formed a, a crisis management group um and that crisis management group obviously entailed people from across the business um, the board and you know key stakeholders who would who could give advice um, certainly in terms of medical advice and logistics um, that group met on a um, at least a weekly basis if not more that group then formed the the, the means by which we could um, inform and communicate the wider group within the company especially the board so all the way through we we were in dialogue we were obviously in dialogue with other sports rights holders. We're in dialogue with all our broadcasters, in dialogue with our partners, um, in dialogue with with kind of hospitality partners and debenture holders. So all, all stakeholders really. But you know, as we as we went through and explored different avenues, it was becoming clearer and clearer that we would not be able to hold the event. And you know, we were in constant conversation with government, um, with the local authorities of Merton and Wandsworth. So it was a, I guess it was a, it was a process and a journey that we were on, um, which culminated on the 1st of April, where, you know, the call was finally made to cancel the event. You know, Alex will talk more about the communication. I think one thing that we have done throughout this whole process at the start um, and throughout is just to constantly communicate with all the stakeholders, you know, to make sure that everybody's aware of what our thinking was and what we were planning to do and, and a time frame around which we were managing. Uh, yeah, Alex, I mean... You know, just to take ourselves back again to that that period. Obviously, we're happily now in a period of relative respite from the effects of of COVID nineteen in in uh, in in the UK and Europe. Obviously, there are still considerable measures in place, and there are uh, are still new cases and people suffering. Um, but it's not at the level it was then. And I think the other thing is that we are in a period of reopening rather than everything shutting down. And 
at the time when Wimbledon was cancelled, you know, you had to get that news out there to people who, it, I mean, we, we talked about this actually on, on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, but we're almost kind of fighting a sensation of this being a big deal. Like it's an incredibly poignant thing, something like Wimbledon being cancelled for the first time in, in so long, but set against the, um, you know, set against the, the wider story of, of the pandemic. It was obviously not a big thing, but it would have been something that a lot of people use to kind of process their grief almost at, at what was going on. I mean, how did you approach that challenge of, of getting the news out there in, in a sensitive way? As you say, I think um, reading reading the, the public mood and, and thinking about how we put um, the cancellation into context, um, certainly not something that that any of us wanted to to trivialize i mean it's yes it's a, a big deal for us um and as you say not something that has happened regularly at all but set against people losing their lives obviously something that we needed to manage um appropriately i think um the the other challenge was needing to cancel in good time and um judging the mood of the media and as Mick said making sure that we consulted properly with our stakeholders so that we weren't leaving it so long that it seemed ridiculous um, to make that decision but also not cancelling at a point in time where it was so far away that we were being seen to proclaim that things weren't going to start to get better um, and as you say that you know these these past few weeks when Wimbledon would have taken place things are different from what they were like in in April but that doesn't mean that the tournament uh, could have gone ahead um, and and we certainly you know have been um, reassured by the the reaction that we've had from from the public and our stakeholders that it's very clear now that we made absolutely the right decision I think the other interesting challenge was was managing it at, at that point in time um, the the demand for content and uh, you know they're not being any live sport on and, and a sort of uh, you know, real desire for, for people to be putting stuff out there all of the time and wanting to manage that sensitively as well and making sure that we were using uh, our voice and using our content to support the messages of others, to support the stay-at-home message um, through replays of archive, to support the uh, messages for key workers and, and the NHS um, and really, you know, use Wimbledon as, as a positive rather than just trying to um, replace things and and you know be where we're not wanted um, as it were so it's it's been a, a fascinating challenge in terms of, of managing that public mood knowing when to do more knowing when to do less um, but I think you know as Mick touched on that the, the overriding um, concern has been making sure that we communicate effectively regularly and, and appropriately. I think it's been interesting Owen how how our media partners have absolutely all wanted us to celebrate the window which I know we'll talk about women recreation in a second, but, you know, this, this last two weeks in particular um, has allowed women to express itself, not just in the UK with the BBC and the fantastic job they've done, um, but, you know, our international partners, you know, like Eurosport and ESPN and BN and numerous others around the world have, have kind of joined in the celebration of, of featuring, featuring, you know, the best of Wimbledon. Where did the planning then start for what you were going to do instead of having the tournament? Well, I think it came out of very, very quickly um, whilst we were looking at the different scenarios about what we could do in terms of hosting the event. We, we kind of set up a small group as well to start looking about what we would do if we were to cancel the event. So that, that started an early stage. And, um, you know, we, we 
we obviously decided to allocate a budget to this um, and talk to our partners. And I think, I think what we found, certainly when we spoke to our broadcast partners and indeed our official partners, official supply partners, you know, there was a huge appetite, um, you know, to, to still sort of have that kind of celebration. We had to be careful with the insurance companies because we couldn't be seen to be creating value for, I don't know, people like Rolex or IBM. Um, but certainly our broadcast partners, you know, absolutely engaged in this. Using our digital platforms, you know, we were able to, to create content um, as well as use the archive. And, and rather than simply have an archive top type proposition is how do you bring the archive to life with, um, you know, real-time interviews from, from the players who would have participated in some of these matches but also trying to bring to life, you know, all the other things that happen around Wimbledon, whether it's the celebration of the foods, the celebration of the flowers, the type of guests. Um, you know, it's allowed us. It's allowed us to sort of, in some ways, probably celebrate some of those things a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, really, it was it was immediate. Um, we we were very clear that when we made the cancellation announcement, we wanted to give a view and provide a commitment that we were going to do other things instead. Um, and you know the, another benefit of of cancelling when we did was being able to redivert our time and resources to to doing those other things, to supporting the local community, to doing what we we could in terms of response to the crisis, but also as Mick says, putting together the plans uh, for the two weeks. How much were you drawing on some of the work that you've been doing in the past few years to build out uh, an identity for Wimbledon and build out a presence for Wimbledon? outside of those two weeks. I mean, we, we've had these conversations uh, in the past two, three years. You, you know, with, you, you've spoken to me and to my colleagues at, at Sports Pro about trying to build out a, a grass court tennis calendar and trying to create a Wimbledon identity that you can export for people who are, uh, are not able to get to the tournament in London. How much are we able to, to build on that foundation? I think what it draws on, Owen, is, is the fact that, um, you know, over the last four or five years in particular, we, we've insourced a lot of capability. Um, and as Alex, you know, Alex says, we're, we're therefore, you know, we've created our own platforms. Um, you know, we've been working with McCann's in particular in terms of um, building our brand assets, storytelling, insourcing retail. And again, having, having you know, the capability in terms of a, a much greater extended team um, who obviously could be completely focused uh, on the new brief that we weren't going to be holding a live event and therefore is focusing all their attention and certainly at a time where you know we are in you know we're still in a, in, in a degree of lockdown um, most of us are still working from home um, is to be able to sort of focus that skill set in terms of living something very different yeah I, I think a few things I would point to um, just to follow on from that um, we we know from the experience that we have had over the past few years in terms of taking Wimbledon to different audiences that Wimbledon resonates with people for very different reasons. Some people adore it because it's a tennis event and it's a tennis event first and foremost, but some people absolutely love it because they get to have an excuse to have a picnic and make a pims and have strawberries and cream. And so we wanted to to create a call to action for all those who love Wimbledon, regardless of why, that was very simple and, and easy to follow. And in many ways, it's probably been the most successful um, call to action and, and certainly UGC-focused campaign that we've ever done because Wimbledon Recreated is, is so simple but also means so many different things to so many different people. 
and we've been overwhelmed and, and thrilled by the creativity and the variety that that our fans out there have shown whether it's people making up their own hill or dressing up their their little one as an umpire at the breakfast table or using all sorts of things from loo roll to garden furniture to um uh, baby clothes to whatever it might be um and and that's just been absolutely brilliant i think the other um significant learning uh has been adapting things for different audiences so we had our first foray into gaming um we put together a very simple concept um based on a, a much loved classic uh which was the play the championships game and that's really to reach a completely different audience from what we did with IBM, uh, which was a sort of testament to the relationship we have with them and the ability to be agile and put something together in just eight weeks, which is obviously very different from what we do with them normally. We normally have a 12-month planning cycle, uh, which was the greatest championships experience. So I'd say it's it's been a, a gathering of all of the learnings that we've had over the past few years, but also things that we now want to use as as the basis for the years to come. So through the greatest championships, as Mick said, trying to build an experience that was interactive, that wasn't just archive, that wasn't just video, is a really useful test case for you know, when we may explore having a more direct-to-consumer live streaming offering. Um, so not just doing things just for this year in what is obviously an extraordinary situation, but what we can learn from for the future as well. Mick, what's the, what have the conversations with your partners been like uh, around that? I think on the broadcasting front, um, obviously hugely positive. Uh, and I think just going back to what Alex said a little bit earlier, what we wanted to do was to give it a framework. I think it was important for us to sort of find what is the right framework rather than different partners going off doing different things where we know they, they wanted to celebrate um, women in some shape or form, but you know, it was very, very key to sort of give them that, that sort of framework to work within. Um, they've been hugely supportive, Owen, you know, wanting to engage with us, um, wanting to understand what's important, not just for us, but how do we celebrate together? Um, I think the BBC is a, a, a great example of, of you know using the whole two-week window with the afternoon show, which was very much about you know the the, the best uh, matches that would have been played in those relevant days, whether it's the first Monday, the first Tuesday, all the way through to um, you know what we had yesterday with with the finals, and then also having a, a an evening show which was hosted at the club. Um, with Sue Barker, you know, the team worked very, very hard over the last sort of four or five weeks to, to ensure that we had um, some great tennis talent and legends um, with interviews to, to, to make it a lot more interactive, trying to engage much more with the audience. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, we're delighted with the, with, with the support that we've enjoyed from our, from our broadcast partners, I think with our official partners. I think, again, they're enjoying the, the noise and uh, you know, the, the fact that we're celebrating the event. As I said, we, we've had to be careful because, you know, our insurance policy means that we can't create incremental value for our partners. So um, I think that was a little bit more low-key in that respect. But, you know, the, the partners have just been hugely supportive of the action that we've taken mm. uh, and, and they fully understand, you know, why we cancelled. But also, I think they've also seen that, you know, we've still given prominence to, you know, to the, both the lead-up to the championships and... Uh, the two-week window that's just finished. With that being said, that you you couldn't do anything this year, or you couldn't do too much this year, kind of over and above what would constitute, um, you know, the the activity that you could do with no event. What what 
have you had many conversations internally, many thoughts internally about how to replace or how to augment the other part of the Wimbledon experience, which is very valuable to partners, which is hospitality, which, you know, we, we haven't had any this year. That whole sector is dormant. Uh, we don't know what kind of shape it's going to return to next year, but we haven't really, I think the industry probably hasn't really begun to explore the possibilities of what can be done virtually. Is that is that something that's that's come up? Yeah, I mean, I th- well, I think first of all, in hospitality. I mean, you you you've probably seen in the announcements that with regards to ticketing, um, you know, we're not going to run a ballot next year because those people who were successful in the ballot for the twenty twenty championships will have the right to, you know, purchase their tickets for the same day uh, and the same court for for next year. Um, likewise, in hospitality, you know, a lot of our a lot of our customers were happy to. Uh, continue to say they want to hold over into next year, uh, and I think that's the that's the kind of strength of of I guess you know how they, how they see our event because it's a you know we we you know we have played back to us that it's a it's a bucket list event um, you know and people absolutely you know have that desire to to get there in terms of planning for next year we've already started planning and obviously the, the you know the key learning for us will be looking at other events you know we obviously hope as we get to the 2021 championships that we will be back to some kind of normality and we'll be staging a uh, staging an event that looks more like 2019 um but you know we can't take that for granted and 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 we will be absolutely looking very very closely at um you know domestically for example you know what happens with the premier league as we go into the autumn what happens and what happens with you know rugby as 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 twickenham um potentially host uh, the autumn internationals uh, we'll be looking at what happens in in Paris, where you know they're claiming that they could be up to sixty percent capacity, and we obviously you know we obviously hope that as the months pass by, um, we do go back to some some kind of normality, and, and and there is a vaccine, and we and we you know we kind of return to to that thinking. But you know we we're also going through lots of other scenario planning because that's what we have to do. Help us spread the word about the Sports Pro podcast. Subscribe, like and share our content on social. Join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag SportsProPod. And if you're enjoying our work, why not leave us a rating and a nice review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you want to get in touch, you can send us an email, podcast at sportspromedia.com. The Sports Pro Podcast, we're listening to. You mentioned, Mick, that, uh, that, that core team members are working from home. There are obviously key... Uh, key staff at Wimbledon and particularly at Wimbledon who aren't able to do that what how are you keeping the site ticking over at this point in time obviously a lot goes up there's a lot of conversation about preparations and uh, and that aspect of it how how has that operation been um, been kept running well obviously the the reason why we made the call uh, in that first week of April is because we hadn't started the build for the championships you know that's a a major, major piece of work, which takes really sort of almost two months to to start building up for the championships, whether it's for the hospitality or you know different types of food and beverage to to the, you know to all the facilities for the players. So that that build didn't start. Um, we've had a core team on site who've not stopped. So not surprisingly, uh, the ground staff who are working outside um, have kept the courts in immaculate condition because it's a private members' club too. So. You know, the members returned to play about four or five weeks ago. So we, we basically have 
the grand staff there. We also have a facility at um, Rains Park, which is now open uh, as, a, as a club. We also own the golf course across the road from, from Wimbledon, which is back up and running. Uh, and providing providing sort of services for for the golfers there, not not fully back to where they were, certainly in terms of golf or the or the Rains Park, but certainly providing those facilities. So um, we've had a lot, you know, we had a number of people on site. We've obviously had a lot some of our state team on site, you know, making sure the maintenance um, of the of the of the club is is continuing. We've had a health and safety group um, who've been back and forth on site, again ensuring that everything under government guidance is being carried out. And then we've obviously had mostly office-based uh, team who are working from home, but as we've just gone through, working pretty hard in terms of putting a lot of these things together. So um, in a funny kind of way, we're now through the 2020, 2020 cycle. Our new financial year starts on August the 1st, and therefore our minds already, like every year, uh, are turning to the next championships. So you know, everybody's focused. We don't know when we're going to be returning back you know, on site yet. Uh, you know, we'll, we will follow government guidance um, and our own health and safety. But at the moment, you know, we're working very effectively from home and remotely. A lot is also made of, of the kind of master plan at Wimbledon, the fact that there's always some kind of uh, progression. There's always some development that's that's going on. Um, has that been affected by, by the events of the last few months? Um, not the bigger project. So um, the the knocking down and rebuilding and repurposing of a brand new sort of indoor courts and an underground car park and and link um, to the players area um, that's continued um, and that's obviously the biggest project that's going on on site at the moment that's that's that'll be completed can be concluded for the 2022 um, championships um, there are other ongoing projects but we're also being quite careful I mean you know we, we will take a view in terms of our uh, our budgeting uh, will take a view in terms of physically being able to start and finish certain projects. Um, so one or two, one or two things will will go on hold. You know, if they're not a necessity for 2021, then we'll hold them for 12 months till the next financial financial cycle before we we undertake, you know, undertake those those projects. I think it's just being you know having just good common sense. But certainly, you know, if we're allowed to, um, we will raise the bar once again for the 20, 20, 2021 championships over and above what we did for what we thought was a fantastic 2019 championships. I mean, we'll, we'll come back to the, the, the kind of, um, you know, the outlook for the, for the future in, in just a sec. But Alex, I wanted to talk a bit about what the last couple of weeks have been like, you know, in terms of executing that content strategy and, and doing it remotely as well. I mean, a, a, you know, a, brilliant challenge and and I think uh, you know, we're all fascinated to see what what changes that we've been forced to adapt to during this period um, actually stick with us when you think about what uh, amazing feats uh, the production companies and 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 media entities around the world have, have been performing to continue to to put stuff together it, it's really fascinating so everything that that we put together um, to go out on on the Wimbledon channels, sort of started from scratch um, from that that first of April moment really um, and as I mentioned we wanted to have this spread of, of UGC through through Wimbledon recreated also some storytelling uh, we did some mini documentaries to celebrate the anniversaries that would have been celebrated uh, at Wimbledon this year so things like 40 years since Borg McEnroe um, 20 years since Venus Williams won her first title and in some ways those created new opportunities um, 
to uh, get support from players who uh, are also at home and, and training, but perhaps have more time. So we were delighted to have some pretty amazing voiceovers. We had Serena do um, the Venus episode, Andy Roddick voiced an episode on Pete Sampras, uh, even Her Royal Highness the Duchess of Cambridge, who's the patron of Wimbledon, uh, voiced a video um, to, to go out on what would have been, been day one. So I think that was uh, you know, really exciting to, to try and stretch ourselves and, and think of things that we could, could do differently. We've had a team uh, publishing content to all the channels in just the same way that we would have done during the fortnight, albeit a lot smaller. Um, but daily briefings, um, you know, managing the, the flow and output across the platforms in the way that we would normally do, trying to have a multi-platform approach, um, work with uh, the social media platforms, uh, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, um, and so on, to do things slightly differently and, and test new things. Uh, we tested out Facebook's Oculus venues, for example. So one of our live streams of, a, of a, an old match uh, went out uh, on that platform. And, uh, and and just having you know, daily conversations to try and see what the appetite is for various different things and trying to recreate the experience as much as we can. Um, the, the support from the team in IBM also has been uh, phenomenal. Most of the team based in the US, normally they would fly over um, for the fortnight. So we've had uh, sort of conversations at all hours of the day uh, to try and ha get that publishing schedule right and, and make the greatest championships as immersive an experience as possible. So very different from a, a normal Wimbledon um, fortnight and a normal grass court season. But in some ways, really interesting things for us to, to take on and think about how we can work better together in the future as well. Yeah. And what's the what's the response to that? What, what have some of the metrics told you about the appetite for digital content, especially when you don't have the tentpole of the live event to hang it on? I mean, it's been obviously very difficult to compare numbers with with what they would normally be. Um because you don't have the unpredictability of of live sport and you know thinking about the first day of last year when you had Coco Goff against Venus Williams that you know amazing um win that, that really sent the conversation beyond the tennis world beyond the sports world even into you know the announcing of a new star it hasn't reached those levels but what's been fascinating has been um how you can still create mini peaks through releasing content at certain times, um, building up appetite for it through trails, through promos, through teasers. Even though people know the outcome of these matches, there's still been that mini appointment to view, as it were. And I think that's been the case for the BBC programming as well in the afternoons and, and the evenings that, that Mick mentioned is trying to build that sense of excitement of, of what who are we going to see? Who are the guests going to be? What are they going to cover? What things are they going to go into? And that's been the same with our, our scheduling of our content across our platforms. I think also some good learnings for us around um, appetite for longer form storytelling. Um, one of the, the best bits of Wimbledon Recreated really was the story um, of uh, the man in Iowa who recreated a full-blown um, Wimbledon grass court. Um, Mark Kuhn is his name. Um, and a, a, an amazing story, really, a tribute to his son who loved tennis and, and sadly lost his life um, early, early on. But just, you know, how he's poured out his emotion and passion for Wimbledon, which is a sort of 10 minute episode. And it's not the kind of thing that we're going to do all the time. But, you know, as we know, as consumers, we like to have choice and being able to provide choice and variety and execution, I think, has been another you know, really good learning. 
And those pieces of content have, have performed just as well as they would have done during a normal championships fortnight. So, um, you know, that's been a really interesting learning for us as well. And how we can collaborate with our broadcasters to provide that to them and, and provide added value to them as well. And just looking at, um, you know, so much of the, even the, the digital operation ends up being geared around um, events at the venue. Obviously, you have the matches going on. You also have so many thousands of people on site who are sharing their Wimbledon experience. Um, you have celebrities and other notables who are, are in the crowds. And, you know, you this year you have a UGC operation that's entirely geared away from the venue because nobody's there. Um, has that has that changed your thinking at all about what that project might look like in future tournaments and how you might be able to bring in fans uh, who who aren't attending? Yeah, definitely. I think it's been um, a, a encouraging. I mean, we've we've tried before to um, get people to share how they're celebrating Wimbledon and experiencing Wimbledon, even if they're not there. Um, I think we've spoken before about the fact that because we are so privileged to have a finite number of tickets and 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 demand for our event to attend in person is 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 brilliant. Um, trying to make sure that our platforms and our content operation are the next best thing to being there and are are an experience that is as good as possible beyond experiencing it in person. But um, we came up with a concept a few years ago for finals weekend called Wimbledon weekend, which was exactly what in some ways has happened this year, which was, you know, show us how you're celebrating Wimbledon, have, have a little party, um, invite your friends over, share in the amazing communal experience of watching live sport. And maybe because communal experiences aren't possible at the moment, um, what people have been doing instead is even more meaningful. And I think it's it's really demonstrated that you can experience Wimbledon in many different ways and, and it can be completely unprompted. We don't need to sort of lead people to, to how they, why they love Wimbledon and what they, what they love Wimbledon for. Uh, they're perfectly capable of, of sharing that with us that themselves. And I think that's um, been been really useful is that it, it can be a very simple message that, that drives amazing results and sometimes you know we're all guilty of overcomplicating things mm. so I think getting that balance right as you say between what's going on there and what's happening around the world you know Mick and I have long talked about trying to have multiple hills that we could sort of cut to so that there's you know the hill in the grounds but you know there's a hill in Times Square and there's a hill in Delhi and there's a hill in you know the middle of Beijing and, and maybe this helps provide the impetus for for people to to share more how they're experiencing Wimbledon everywhere because they are and and that's one of our greatest strengths. Well, I think I think just picking up again on, on the BBC you know by having by having the, the live show in the evening um, we're able to cut some content for them each day you know seeing Pat Cash go into the museum storeroom and finding his old racket um uh, and, and what was in there, and, and almost sort of turning into a, uh, a bit of like an antiques roadshow of, of going in and having a bit of fun, or you know, Boris Boris Becker sort of doing the Walk of Champions and kind of reminiscing um, with Tim Henman. Yeah, you know, all all these things where you can you can go behind the scenes a bit. Gianna Conta making the perfect strawberries and cream with with Marcus Waring. Um, so these are things that again you're able to invite people in, things that they wouldn't actually see during during Wimbledon, but just gives a bit of an insight into our thinking, our history, our culture, um, and just having a bit of fun. 
Yeah. Did Pat Cash know you had his racket? <laughs> he did. He found lots of other stuff in there as well. I think I think he was more amused by other people's rackets, including John McEnroe's, which he just thought was absolutely tiny. Um well just to just to look ahead, obviously the you know, you you, you say as you said, uh you're fortunate enough to have been covered for this year, but we don't know what lies ahead economically inside and outside the sports industry. What's the outlook for Wimbledon like uh, commercially, Mick, for, for the next few years? Well, again, we're, we're in a very strong position. You know, we, we have, you know, we take the attitude, like most things that women are taking a long-term view. So a lot of our partners have been with us for a long time, um, both broadcasters and, and the official partners. Um, you know, for example, Rolex will, will celebrate 50 years of partnership coming up. Soon IBM, we're over 30 years. So we go through an awful lot with our partners. And I think because we're not a, a rights holder that goes out to tender every three years and, and literally just takes you know, the largest sum of money on the table, you know, we, we, we want to have a relationship, um, making sure we maximize the, the value of our rights, which we absolutely do. So we are in a, we are in a strong position as we go forward. I mean, most of our, most of our um, contracts are multi-years. And in most cases, we have a number of years left in those before we have to start renegotiation. Um, and I think testament uh, to the strength of our event is that we will be introducing a new partner um, for 2021. So whilst we've been in shutdown, um, you know, we've been talking to a new partner, which I think, bear in mind what's happening in the world at the moment, is testament to the, to the strength of our brand that rather than losing partners, we're actually bringing a new partner in. Strategically, have you, uh, have you taken pause? Because you, you have been changing that portfolio a little bit in, in the last couple of years. Um, the likes of uh, Oppo coming in, um, you know, IBM, obviously, who you've been working with for a very long time, but you're showcasing their work in, in different ways every year. Have you have you had time to contemplate whether you're, whether that's going to change at all, that direction that you're taking things in? Or is this kind of, I don't want to say a blip, but is this this kind of an interruption to that rather than a redirection? Look, we're always reshaping our, our partnerships. Um, I think the biggest thing for us is that we don't want sponsors. You know, we want genuine partners who enhance the experience for, for, for different stakeholders who, who, you know, who come to women, whether they're there physically or virtually. So each of our partners provides a service or goods for the, for the championships. And I think that that's what makes the, the, the relationship so strong. I think the emphasis over the last so three or four years in particular is wanting wanting those partnerships to be more global you know we want to be able to celebrate our um the women championships and our brand on a global basis so the stronger the global partner the better that is for both parties yeah. you know, so you saw the introduction of american express two years ago um oppo um giving us a, a a foothold into not just china but southeast asia but having a a brand that really comes from china that is going global but I think it's the strength of the partnerships, the fact that, you know, we still have very, very long term relationships um, with these people. Um, we don't want a long tail of partners. So we're currently on sort of 15 partners. That's that's a, a good threshold. It, you know, it won't move far from that kind of that, from that level. I think our view is going longer and deeper with our partners. Um, and certainly over the last five or six years, what's become very important to them as well is, you know, our digital capability, but more and more the data that we are now collecting. Yeah, and I think that's that's something that we, as we move forward, um, that data collection and data usage is going to become critical in terms of those partnerships. Just to just to wrap us up, it'd be good to get just from each of you a 
something to reflect on or something that that this experience has taught you about Wimbledon about the brand about the event about what it means to people and and about what it means to be putting it on I think from me I think it's just strengthened the feeling and the love that people have of the championships um there's also there's almost a sense of bereavement um you know from from our stakeholders in particular because you know they're obviously very very close to the event absolutely from the members and the club but just from just from friends you know having worked at the championships now for over 10 years you know friends I know very well who've just said my god we really miss wimbledon you know wimbledon's part of the summer it's part of the event you know it's it's something that we just we just love and and I think it's not just here in the UK but you know the amount of emails and comments we've had internationally you know I think it it makes us realize how 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 big a global sporting event we are yeah i mean i i, I feel exactly the same way it's 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 really made i think us all feel so privileged um to work for something that that people love so much um and almost a, a renewed sense of purpose to uh respect that that passion um for wimbledon and continue to do what you know what we can to be you know the guardians of it for the for the period of time that we are um, I think uh, it's it's also given us the resolve to make sure that every time we are doing something that it is what we want it to be. It is that what people expect Wimbledon to be, which is always helpful to have opportunities and moments to pause and reflect and say, are we really doing the right thing? Are we um, are we taking advantage of all the opportunities available to us? So, you know, as Mick says, hopefully the Championships 2021 will be um, as good as or better than 2019. Um, but if for whatever reason they're not, then there's plenty of other things that we can do um, to continue to look forward to the future um, and, and have that, you know, continue to make sure that Wimbledon is loved um, and cherished by people around the world. And one thing we're not, Owen, is I don't think there is any individual both at the club or amongst the members, who is who is complacent about what we what we have? I think you know we we we're very very lucky. We think it's very very special. But complacency is probably one of our biggest threats. Okay. Well, I hope we're able to resume this conversation uh, next year and and after a, a championships that's actually taken place. But um, it's been really interesting to hear what you guys have been have been doing to to keep the flame alive. Thank you very much for your time, Alex Willis. Thank you so much. And Mick Desmond. That's great. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. And thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, We'll be back with you again very soon. Bye-bye. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon. 